Welcome to the Legacy Church Amelia Island podcast. We are so glad that you have joined us. Wherever you're listening from today, we believe that this message will help you to know God and leave a lasting legacy on this earth. Well, church fam, why don't you go ahead and put your hands together for the goodness of our God as we welcome in all of our guests and our online family. Happy Palm Sunday to you. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, Happy Palm Sunday. Find just one more neighbor for me and say, Happy Palm Sunday. What a privilege it is that we get to be a part of celebrating our God and our King. Oh my goodness, what a great time to be alive in the kingdom. You know, in the Christian faith, this is as big as it gets. We head into Passion Week or, or Holy Week and, and we, we follow the journey of Jesus all the way, not just to the cross, but somebody say, to the resurrection. This is everything. This is, this is more than the Super Bowl. This is, this is the big thing. This is why we celebrate. This is what the whole Bible worked its way to, to the Messiah and to the King. And so if you're new with us here today, thank you for being here. Thank the person who invited you, uh, because if they invited you, they must think a lot about you. We are thankful for all that God is doing right here in our, our church at Legacy Church. Um, there's just too many things to talk about, and so if you want to jump on the social media pages or the website, you can see all that God is doing. The month of April is going to be incredible. We know that obviously today we have our Palm Sunday service. Tomorrow night we have our prayer and fasting that we do every month as a church. But someone say this Friday. It's a big one. You guys know what this Friday is? It's a good Friday. It's a good Friday. It's Passover. Oh, by the way, it's the Sabbath. And so we've been working really hard as a church family since the new year to talk and teach about gathering your family at the table. We work really hard to unpack the scripture from Genesis to Revelation that it began at the table. And guess where it's going to end? The marriage supper of the lamb at the table. And so we really want healthy homes. We know that we gather in vain without healthy homes. Our church is only as strong as the families and the singles. That's as strong as we get if our homes are healthy. And so if you were here a couple weeks ago, we had our table and our family gave you kind of a, a quasi demonstration. But this coming Friday, we're going to invite you all to the table with us. We have a location here locally that we're going to invite you all to. And we're going to have a meal and celebrate the Sabbath and Good Friday together. I'm going to pair a little uh, encouraging words, but I'm going to sit with my family at the table. You're going to sit with your families at the table. If you're coming by yourself, we're going to sit you with a family at the table. Or you can bring your friends. But we really want to not just talk about it. We want to demonstrate health, wholeness, and the elements in the table to show you that maybe there's something that we're missing in our culture. We got a lot of conveniences, don't we? Like you can pretty much anything from your couch. Groceries, online degree. You can check, check up on your kids. Anybody look at Focus if you've got kids in school? You do a little bit of anything and everything. But man, there's, there's something special at getting to the table, inviting your, your family and friends. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to feed you. We're going to create a nice atmosphere for you. We ask for you is to RSVP, please. But come and be a part of it because we're going to show you what we practice in our homes and a lot of our families practice in their homes. And, and hopefully you'll, you'll find grace and strength and encouragement. It's going to be a special time. So please make plans to be there. It's going to be a special time. I, I found that throughout the years I have participated when it's, it's Passover, it's Sabbath, it's Good Friday, there's a special presence of God that he releases when we, we come and honor him in these sacred and special seasons and times. And so we hope that you'll be there and, and make plans to invite people as well. Well, this message today is, is tracking from our 
One last week was the inspiration of the Lamb. Today I want to talk to you about the inspiration of a, of a few different things today. The inspiration of the gate, the cloak, and the palm. Someone pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We gather on one of the holiest days in the Christian faith, Palm Sunday. And I don't know if anybody in this room fully understands the, the gravity of the importance of sacredness and, and the cost of it. But Lord, we are asking you to reveal it to us. So Holy Spirit, come and have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Someone say amen. So as most of us are aware today, today marks a historic day for the past 2,000 years in the church. Historically and traditionally, we've called it Palm Sunday, and it marks the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry here on earth We're told in the scriptures when Jesus enters Jerusalem in the final week of his life to be crucified and and resurrected. And and what we're told is that people are lining the streets and and waving palm trees. You can see a few palms here around me and behind me. And that's where we get this language and this terminology of of Palm Sunday. We're told they're gathering at something called Passover. Someone say Passover. Someone asked your neighbor, do you know what Passover is? And if they don't, They've got some explaining to do because we've talked at length about Passover because what we're going to have is not a surface level church, but we're going to have a church that knows the whole story of the Bible. We're going to be full Christian. not going to eat the junk food of the cross and resurrection. There was something that God was planning through 42 generations, through 60 plus books in your Bible, in totality 66 that he's planning and putting together. And Jesus is now going to be the fulfillment of all these things. That's why the Hebraic roots of our faith and things that people might call Jewish that are really biblical, if you don't know those, you won't understand a thing of what Jesus is doing. God's timing won't make sense to you. And so what's happening right now, we're walking into Palm Sunday. Guess what's happening? It's one of the three important festivals. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, the big ones, and that if you live in the radius of Jerusalem, you had to attend. But right now, Jesus coming into the city for Palm Sunday. What's going on? Passover. Everybody's coming into the city. Scholars, historians, Josephus, and other people in that time tell us that Jerusalem would swell upwards of two million people. And so it was hustling and bustling during this time. And the Passover is what they were all celebrating. And, and what is the Passover for those of you maybe are brand new today? It was them celebrating their forefathers being liberated out of Egypt through a series of 10 plagues. And so what's so unique about God is he doesn't create statues and monuments to commemorate and remember what his, he's done for his people. You know what he does? He creates a table. And he creates sacraments and elements that you would practice with your family and that you would mind generation after generation, after generation. So there's no such thing as a generation rising up and walking away from the faith. No, no, you practice the elements every single week in your home through the Sabbath on Friday or some other thing that you have to have planned in your home that they continue with their family. Hopefully we're showing our families what good looks like so they practice with their families. And so this was the path that God creates. This is the runway that God creates for Jesus to come. Isn't it amazing? that God uses Jews to uphold these practices and these precepts for the rest of us. The next time you see a Jew, kiss him. Give him a big hug and say thank you. A couple of Jews are being kissed in the crowd right now. But I mean, seriously, think about this. Those of us as Gentiles, without the practices that they upheld, how would we, where would we know? This is not American. This is not Spanish. This is not Greek. This is not Roman. These are Jewish practices and precepts that became biblical that are now passed down to us. 
And so now to understand what Jesus is doing here on Passover, I mean, we know the VBS, Vacation Bible School, the felt board, Jesus and the donkey. It was so much more than Jesus and the donkey. He was coming in as his Passover sacrifice. And so before we get any further, let me unpack the story so we can see what that looks like. So turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 19. Now, all four Gospels have a rendering of this one. And trying to pick your favorite is like trying to pick your favorite kid, right? It's impossible. They're all the same. I love them all the same. I call all my girls the favorite. They're equally my favorite. But in Luke 19, we have this, this passage, this coronation of a king as Jesus entering to Jerusalem, and, and people are recognizing him as Messiah. And I want you to catch that Jesus is no longer quieting people and saying, don't tell. I want you to see this. But it starts in verse 28 saying this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead and going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent, someone say, two disciples. You're going to see why. Said two disciples, say to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say what? The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying my cult? What are you doing? Let's not get so detached when we read the Bible from reality and what natural things are. This is their livelihood occult. They paid good money for this cult. They have plans for this cult. You don't just have a cult hanging out and tied somewhere. You don't have a plan for this donkey. There are plans, and yet they're supposed to say the Lord needs it. I'm thinking Jesus sends two disciples just in case things get ugly. Just in case they don't buy the story of what's going on here. And we're told that they say the Lord needs it in verse 34. And so then 35 lets us know what happened. They brought it to Jesus. We don't hear of any fat lips or, or bruised eyes or ripped garments. And so apparently they took their, them at their word and they brought it to Jesus. And now here's where things begin to, to really take off that we really have to do something about. It says they threw their cloaks. Someone say their cloaks. This is their robes. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people began to spread their cloaks on the road. Rendering John 12 also tells us they're waving palm branches. Verse 37 says this, When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices. Now remember, there's two million people in the city. There's hundreds of thousands in different areas gathering. This could be literally throngs of hundreds of thousands. We don't know. We just know it's not a handful. Whole crowds of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. This would be the equivalent of like a a soccer stadium or a football stadium, just in unison, crying out, screaming out all kinds of things and worship and honor and adoration. And so what we have to do for a moment is just stop and say, who are these people? Who are these people that we're told the crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices? Anyone have an idea who these people are? Let's use just some, some basic knowledge. Um, how about the people that Jesus was healing for three years? And how about their testimonies that got out and about? Jesus told them not to, but we know that they did. How about blind Bartimaeus? How about Lazarus and Mary and Martha? How about the woman with the issue of blood and the people that she told her testimony to? How about the 12-year-old girl, Jairus' 
daughter? How, 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 about, how about we have all these different people that were a part of Jesus' life in this ministry? How about the 10 lepers? How about those party guests of the whole water to wine ordeal? They probably came for some ulterior motives, but they were there. We've got throngs of people screaming out and crying out, Hosanna. That they have seen his miracles, they've seen his work, and they're, they're professing, they're crying out, letting everybody know this is the Messiah, this is the one that we have been awaiting. Verse 38 says this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. They're quoting scripture. This is messianic language. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now watch this. Every time they say you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, what does Jesus say? Tell no one. Does a miracle, opens blinded eyes, heals the deaf, heals the mute. I'm sure there's hundreds who know his story. And he's always saying, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. And so now the Pharisees, those who are taking advantage of the people of God, those who are polluting the gospel and the good news, those who are making religious, ritualistic things and putting heavy loads on people, they don't like what's going on because they can't see the revelation of God. They can't see relationship because they're too fixated on religion. And so some Pharisees in the crowd said, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop calling you Messiah. Tell them to stop waving palm branches. Tell them to stop laying their cloaks down. Tell them to stop saying Hosanna in the highest. Tell them to stop saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Tell them now, Jesus. And Jesus replies in verse 40, he says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus says, even if I tried, the heavens declare my glory. He said, even if I tried, if you look around, the lame are walking. Even if I tried, if you look around, if you listen, the deaf and the mute are talking now and listening. Even if I tried, you got dead men walking around named Lazarus. Even if I tried, there are people who were dead and now alive. Even if I tried, the woman who was unclean is now clean. Even if I tried, the woman with seven demons, oh, she's a part of my ministry now. Even if I tried, even if I tried, the the stones would cry out. He's now letting you and me and everyone then and now know he is Messiah. He is Lord. He is what we are awaiting. And I don't know what you're waiting on today. I don't know what you're waiting on this week, this year. But he is the answer. He is the answer. And don't let that be quieted down by your experience in in life. Don't let it be quieted down by other well-meaning people how you feel, how you think, he is the answer. He is what you are waiting on. He is your payday. He is your entrance. He is whatever you are waiting on. I challenge you to pray and say, God, you are what I'm waiting on. He told them, even if I tried, it wouldn't work. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he says he wept over it. This is telling. And said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about those who have a form of godliness but denying the power. He's talking about those that are in church all the time but don't see God. They just see the building. They see just the habits and behaviors, but the relationship is far. They're there to be seen and not to serve and to love the kingdom. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you 
and hem you in on every side. Jesus weeps as he sees a people falling away from God and suffering. Verse 44, they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you do not recognize what? The time of God's coming to you. That's the worst that could happen today. You not recognize the timing of God coming to you today, speaking to you today, encouraging you, strengthening you, giving you wisdom, giving you discernment, recalibrating you and your relationships in your life. The worst thing that could happen, the thing that Jesus would weep over would be us missing that, would be us missing that. And he even says it in the scripture. You know what he just said? He sees right now 38 years ahead of what's happening. The Jews begin to revolt against Rome and their harsh policies and their harsh ways. And by 70 AD, Rome destroys Jerusalem, burn the temple down. They take Jews captive. We're told that they take about a million captive and, or about slaughter about a million of them and enslave about 100,000 of them. Like, it's going to get bad. And Jesus says, if you would just turn to me if you just recognize the moments in the season. And so what they missed, what we're not going to miss today, here's the first thing. They miss the gate. Someone say the gate. They missed the gate. They missed this Passover lamb coming through the gate because once again, the things that are familiar, it just breeds contempt. We, we, we don't honor maybe a Palm Sunday. This is my 40th Palm Sunday. I don't know how many of you you've done it here today, but we, we come into a time like this Passion Week and Holy Week, and we're supposed to be following the progression of Jesus to Good Friday and the cross and the resurrection, but it becomes so familiar, we just kind of miss it. And they missed the gate. Let, let me be specific. At least, at least a quarter million of sacrifices at this point in Jerusalem, representing each family, right? At least that. And so as Jesus comes through the gate, you know what else is coming through the gate? Other lambs, other sacrifices. I can imagine they're pushing Jesus out of the way. Move, get out of the way. I got to get my lamb to the, to the temple. I got to get, they're pushing the lamb of God out the way for their lamb. Are you hearing me right now? There's a bleeding of lamb everywhere. And actually the lamb of God who is about to take away the sins of the world is getting pushed out the way. They're pushing past him because they got things to do. And I don't know what we're going to push past today because we got things to do, but maybe he wants to speak to someone here today. Maybe he wants to interrupt your regularly scheduled program today. Maybe you're bypassing what you really need, and there were millions who bypassed the gate on Palm Sunday. <laughs> they didn't know the final sacrifice was there. Had someone asked me last week, so why don't we slaughter lambs anymore? I said, because the final sacrifice is Jesus. He is the final one. We approach him in the name of the Father. We, we approach the Father in Jesus' name, and, and that is the final sacrifice. That's where we come into perfect union and relationship. And so what we're told is that Palm Sunday was an annual occurrence for the Jews through the gates of Jerusalem. And so for them, no big deal. Every single Passover, we do this. If you live in a certain radius, you have to go to Jerusalem. You have to take a sacrifice. And so as the head of your household, you would take your sacrifice. And so you would walk with your family as a child year in and year out. Here we go to Jerusalem, to the temple courts for the slaughtering, for the Passover. Here we go, year in and year out. And then as an adult, you would walk with your children, the same path, same way, kind of like the same vacation spot, say hi to all the folks, you know, and, and say hi. Then as a grandparent, you would walk with your children and your grandchildren. So these are the same rituals, the same prescribed prayers. But yet on this moment, on this 
Passover is going to be something that now the rest of time we'll call Palm Sunday. Because there was no longer a Passover lamb that they knew or they were familiar with. Now it was a Passover lamb through the Messiah. Something different changed about the familiar family trip here. And people started to notice. So instead of heading directly to the temple to offer their many sacrifices, we are told crowds begin to gather here. In the scripture, it says it. Crowds begin to gather around Jesus. They begin to gather and they begin to cry out scripture and, and, and all these other things. Well, they're supposed to be at the temple right now. They're supposed to be gathering things up. But what we see is something has changed. Some people have missed the gate, but others have not. This was not the typical Passover journey and festival, but there was something very different. As they were in the presence of Messiah, we read this, they were quoting Psalms 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were, they were going to evoke something that was coming from a deep down place. John's rendering talks about Hosanna. And, and there's all these different things that, that are said in the scripture. And it's like, where are they getting this stuff from? See, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to his spirit, he begins to do different things in you. Have you ever said something like, where did that come from? Like, where did that courage come from? Where did that knowledge come from? Like, how did I, why did I? Usually I would have snapped at that point and I didn't. Like a little surprise in yourself? Because the closer you get to Messiah, things begin to, to come out of you that he's always wanted to do. So they are, they are being stirred right now. And they're saying things like Hosanna, which translates to save now. They have experienced religion. They experienced Passover. They experienced all these traditional prayers. And they're what we choose relationship with Messiah over religion. We want more of him than any other practice. We want the fulfillment of the practice that we are doing. And so the questions that they were asking that we might do well to ask is this, why here in Jerusalem at the temple? Why now and why a donkey? Like these are some pretty, I would say, good questions to ask. So why here? This was the place of sacrifice. This is the temple. This was Israel. This is Jerusalem. This was, this is, and will always be what? God's holy city. God's holy place. When he returns, do you know where he's coming? Jerusalem. Like, we have to not only pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but the salvation of the Jewish nation, don't we? The Bible is very clear on these things. And so as an American church, for some, that's maybe new language. But we have to be very keenly aware that Jesus is the Passover land coming to where? Jerusalem. God's holy city. This is where the Passover land, watch this, for generations has been slaughtered. And what else? Sacrificed. We walked through this a couple weeks ago. Slaughtered and sacrificed. So where does Jesus have to be? In a place of slaughtering and sacrifice. Why now? Well, in Christian history, we, we call it Palm Sunday and we celebrate the triumphal entrance. But for generations in the Jewish calendar, this was what? The 10th day of Nisan. And so we studied this. We, we, we unpacked this in Exodus where every Jewish family would select what? A lamb. And so that's why you and I grew up hearing Jesus what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Revelation calls him a lamb. You hear this language. You hear this language over and over and over again. This is why you hear this language. Many of us don't know why we've been saying it our whole lives. You probably even pray and use that kind of language. This is why you hear it because he was the Passover what? Lamb. And so he has to, it has to be this time. The lamb has to be selected on the 10th day of Nisan. The Jewish families would have to sacrifice him on the 14th day. And Jesus, as we unpacked last week, was sacrificed what? On the 14th day at twilight, at what time? Three o'clock. 
had to be this day, had to be this time. And not just because of what the calendar showed. There's this little thing called prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. Anyone like prophecy? Anyone like a numbers person? Go to Daniel chapter 9. It won't be on the screen, but you can do it at at your leisure. 483 years prior, you know what Daniel said was going to happen in that year? The lamb was going to be sacrificed. On this day, in this time frame. Interesting how God is working. Interesting how he's setting everything up. We're seeing the the why, we're seeing the where, but we're also seeing something when it comes to the donkey. A little strange, right? I'd have thought there'd have been a, a better way to go about things. I'd have been more of a chariot guy in that day. I don't know if a donkey would have been my, my mode of transportation. Maybe a stallion guy. But Jesus, we're told, and we don't, we're not told he has an affinity for donkeys. We're not told if he's a cat person, which I hope he wasn't. I don't think he was. I don't think he was. Not Jesus. Wasn't a dog person. I'm not told any of these things. We're told, he tells the two disciples, hey, go get me a colt. Go get me a foal. It's, it's unridden. It's young. It's, it's in perfect prime condition for him to ride on. Why a donkey? Well, once again, and, and I hope this is landing well for our church family. A lot of people call themselves Messiah. Then and today. A lot of weird stuff on the internet. A lot of people call themselves Messiah, but to be Messiah, you had to fulfill something called prophecy, which is to say there were thousands of years, there's a millennia of things saying, hey, don't be fooled by all these religions and all these cults and all these these things. Messiah will fulfill all these things, over 300 prophecies, and when he fulfills that, that's your God. This is the one. And so guess what riding on a donkey was? Prophecy. Zechariah 9.9, it says this, 500 years before this happens, this is what it says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on what? So what did Jesus have to ride on? On a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is such a beautiful story. As you and I, we're we're making our way to the Lord's Supper. We're making our way to the cross. We're making our way to the Garden of Gethsemane. We're making our way to all these places in the tomb. But as we make our way, now it feels like, okay, we got the whole story now. Like he's fulfilling prophecy one step at a time. Passion Week, this week that we celebrate, the Holy Week, he is making sure everything is fulfilled according to the Father's plan. And so when he says on the cross, you remember these words? It is what? What do you think he's talking about? Prophecy. Everything he was sent to do, everything that the Messiah had to perform, it was fulfilled. It was finished. It is done. He wasn't done dying. He wasn't done. It was finished. Everything that God promised was finished. And then we have this interesting language when we talk about the cloak and the palms. Once again, in our culture, we'll read through these things and just keep busting through. Like there's not something God wants to unpack. There's not one word, not one passage, not one sentence here that God's not trying to unpack something for you and for me. It's all very intentional. And so the donkey was riding through, watch this, riding through the the city, the gate into Jerusalem. And we're told that the donkey is literally walking across piles and piles of robes and palm trees. I don't know if it was helping or hindering the ride. I don't know how bumpy it was for Jesus, but piles and piles and, and thousands and thousands of, of robes and, and palm branches. It's kind of making its way over, and it's like, okay, this is interesting, I guess culturally appropriate. Like, what is this exactly? 
And here's the questions that typically you and I are not asking, but they're highly, I mean highly significant. What does the cloak represent they're taking off? The cloak represents a sign of status and identity. This would be in our modern day uh, the kind of car you drive, your job title. Well, so what do you do? Where do you live? Right? What do you invest in? What do your vacations homes look like? And, like this is like status. You, you take off your robe, that's, I can tell who that is. You can tell who a rabbi was. You can tell somebody who was a tax collector was. You can tell somebody who was, um, who was uh, somebody begging for alms. Like everybody kind of had their status attached to their robe. So what are they doing? They're removing their status. They're removing their identity. And they're laying at the feet of a what? A king that people are going to stomp on their status and, and the donkey's going to stomp on their status, but it doesn't matter. This is a kink. They become, watch this, undignified. said, I am not worthy. He is worthy. I lay my identity, and men struggle with this because you think you're your job. You think you're your pay scale. You think whatever generation came before you, you kind of assume those things. But no, you're much more than that, Jesus says. And so they take their identity off, and they lay at the feet of a king, and he begins to Walk over it. John 19.36 says this. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. I'm assuming there's not paved roads. I'm assuming they have a great sewage system. I'm assuming there's none of the weird people that have like a little plastic bag and pick up their dog stuff. I'm assuming there's none of those out there. I say weird people. We, we do it too. But um, None of us out there. I'm, I'm assuming as they're laying their cloaks down, they're picking them back up and they're, they're, they're probably not the way they laid them down. I'm assuming there's something going on here. I'm assuming that they are sacrificing and laying their cloaks down because there's something that shows this as sacrifice and as royalty. 2 Kings 9.13, this is why they're doing it. As they're doing a coronation of a king, it says this, they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps, they blew the trumpet and shouted. This is what you did for a what? A king. You, you took your robe off. You took your status. And you laid it at his feet. And, and I just wonder if you and I walk out of here on Palm Sunday with status intact and, and identity about everything else but him and, and without humility. And, and there's some questions to ask today. There's some questions to ask that will you and I take our cloaks off today? And that might be mental, that might be emotional, that might be physical, that might be in the home, could be out of the home. But there's something we got to see from this. And this is why we can't just rush through these stories just to get to a certain apex of it. Jesus wants us to see, the Bible wants us to see, they removed their status. When they came in the presence of the king, they said, I'm yours. Whatever you desire, I remove everything that I identify with to identify with you. And it doesn't stop there because we're told uh, they start waving palm trees and palm branch or palm branches. And, and this is very significant because palm trees or palm branches are a symbol of the power and the victory over enemies. And so we know this, that in John's gospel 12, 12, it says this, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and they took palm branches and, and went out and meet him shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the what? King of Israel. They're reciting Psalm 118.26 because they know that he is symbolizing that he is going to overtake everything. 
He is the king. He's going to save them from their enemies in the spiritual sense. The crowds represent all kinds of things here, but you and I can't walk away from reading this story and not see the cloak and the palm branches. We can't ignore that. We can't just go about living our life, and this is a typical Palm Sunday message and experience to say, wait, 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 wait. Am I waving my palm branch today that he has victory over my enemies? Do I believe he has victory over everything that's come against me, everything that's overwhelming, everything that's hurtful, everything that's challenging, everything that, that, that comes against my heart, my mind, my soul, or my peace? Do I believe that? Someone might just want to wave a palm tree today just in belief. Just, just show yourself that I'm going to believe I have victory over everything in my life right now, not because of me, because I've taken my cloak off, I've laid it on the ground, and my king has victory over that. Amen? And so here's what we're being shown here in the scripture. And here, you don't have to dig that deep to see what he's doing here. And the crowds represent different kind of people. People are both rejoicing and rejecting. We already read it. We already read the people rejoicing and the Pharisees saying to quiet these people down. The crowds were singing his praise and, and they thought he was going to be a political leader. But he revealed himself to be a spiritual leader. Context is they were being harshly governed by Rome. And they're wanting a political leader to come and save them from Rome and and when they found out, oh, Jesus into politics, like, not my guy. Man, does it sound familiar today? Like, people have more, it seems like, leadership from those arenas than, than this arena. And they say, oh, he's, he's not our guy. And so many are aware of this, that just a few hours later, a few short days later, they're, they're shouting to crucify him because he didn't present himself to be the king they expected him to be. Worship is not based on what you want Jesus to be in your life. It's what he wants to be in your life. And so they were walking through this. Worship is not a song on a stage. Worship is revealing what Jesus wants to be in your life. And here's, in my short few years, I know this. The only way to know if your worship is authentic is if he doesn't do what you want him to do. That's the only way to know, is your worship authentic? If he doesn't do what you want him to do, do you still worship him with your life? with your posture, with your attitude, with your marriage, with your habits, with your behavior, in private, in public, with your finances? Do you still worship him? Do you still say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Do you still discard your garment and your coat and lay it at his feet? Do you still wave palm branch and say, you're going to overcome my enemies and overcome my traumas and overcome my pains? Do you still, someone say amen. Do, do you still? And that's how you know where you are as a believer. Because this crowd, when Jesus didn't prove to be who they wanted him to be, he proved to be what they needed. They said, uh, give us Barabbas. Give, we'll wait for another one. We'll wait for a political leader who will save us from Rome. They didn't need to be saved from Rome. They needed to be saved from themselves and religion. And, and then the culture that would say to serve yourself over the kingdom and build your kingdom over the kingdom of God. Have you learned this worship style, this worship style yet? You don't have to live for God very long to know about how to worship him, how to posture yourself. Whether he does what you and I want him to do or not, he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of laying our coats down, laying our identity down. He's worthy of honoring him, believing that he is going to, overcome all of our trials and, and issues and pains. And, and here's the last thing. We're told in one depiction that the Lord 
needs it. The Lord needs it. That's interesting. I don't ever think about God as needing something. I never think about Jesus needing something. Do you? Like, I don't put him in that category in my thought process and in my life. It says, the Lord needs something. Luke 19, 31, it says, if anyone asks you what you or why you are untying it, say, the Lord what? That Lord wants it. That Lord desires it. The Lord could really do something with it. The Lord needs it. We're told the Lord has a plan, but needs, watch this, you. Needs me. He needs people to complete his plan, and God's plan has always been orchestrated from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve all the way to present. He's always used what? People. Amazing. God told Noah, I got to do something different with this world, and he needed what? Noah and his family. He always needs people because that's the way he designed his plan. And so my question to you is, do you know the Lord needs you? How strange. Do you know the Lord needs you? Do you know that you're not sitting here sucking up air for free? He needs you. Do you know that the the air in your lungs is on lease? Anybody ever leased anything? Like that thing is not yours. You can call it yours as much as you want. But they will take it back. And the Bible says it's important to one man a time to die, and we all have that. And when that lease is up, hopefully we've been faithful, we've been obedient to what the Lord needs. And if you say today, I don't know the Lord needs, I'm going to say back to you, start asking. Instead of give me, give me, do, do, bless, bless, open, open, kick down, kick down, circle around this. No. Lord, what do you need? But what does the Lord need? What do you need me to do? What do you want me to send me to, to accomplish your purpose in your kingdom? And that changes a Western mindset. Changes it completely around. The Lord needs me. The Lord needs my, my family, my home. The Lord needs my ingenuity. He needs my strength. The Lord needs my focus. The Lord needs the best of my days. The Lord needs my relationships, my marriage. The Lord needs my children and my grandchildren. Hold on, hold on. The Lord needs my career. Any leaders in the room? Any business owners in the room? Any managers? What, the Lord needs your company? This, this is crazy. You're not just walking through this life consuming, consuming, consuming. The Lord actually needs things of you. Stay-at-home moms, the Lord needs you. As you're raising up the most valuable thing in our world, the Lord needs you. Oh, I just want to give just a shout out to our stay-at-home moms right now and, and our moms who are working and staying at home, if that makes sense. Because you're doing both. The Lord needs you. And our fathers, too. Stay-at-home fathers who are working and doing both, too. The Lord needs you? What? The Lord needs your finances? There, there's something to this blessing of the tithe and the offering? The Lord needs you? Not because he can't do it without you. He wants to do it with you. I love my daughters so much and there's so many things I involve them in, not because I need them, because it's better with them. It's better with them. I could go anywhere I want to with my wife and go have a good time, but I want to bring my girls because I want them. It's better with them and and God can do anything.
I mean anything. We read last week, he can blow your mind. He can do exceedingly abundantly, but he wants to do it with you. And someone today is going to understand this and going to say, Lord, what do you need? What do you need me to untie? What donkey do you need for your mission? What can I disrobe from today? What can I weigh before you? What do you need? That might be all the commentary you need for the message today. Lord, what do you need? What you're going to see is this ministry of Jesus, this depiction of him walking through the gate. And, and all that, the people are focused on something, but Jesus also focused on something. There's this really moving exchange with Jesus that we read. I don't know if you caught it or not. But we're told Jesus looks over the city, he weeps. And Jesus, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he was a crier. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say that he was, he was in touch with his emotions because God gave us emotions. Not to be led by, but to, to honor him with him and, and to feel what he's given us. Because God is emotional as well. We, we show in the Bible that he, he emotes different things. But we're told only twice Jesus cries in scripture. The first time is in John eleven thirty five. We're told Jesus what? Jesus wept. And what is this context? It's Lazarus. And he died. And, and Jesus wept. But in the Greek, this, this word for, for, for wept in 1135, it's... Um, it's, it's controllable. It's like you're wiping your tears out and you're kind of getting yourself composing together. The Greek rendering that the New Testament has written it gives us that language. He, he knew Lazarus was going to rise again. He knew eternally that his salvation was in the Lord. And so he weeps, but he kind of pulls it together. But Luke 19, 41, different altogether. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, we're told, he did what? He wept. The Greek rendering is different on this one. We're told Jesus looks over a city of lost people and he sobs uncontrollably. We're told he's overwhelmed. We're told the kind of, the, the kind of rendering where it's sobbing, it's crying, it's, it's inconsolable. It's I need a minute kind of crying. And for the people watching, they're, they're just honoring him and waving palm branches and cloaks. They're probably confused. Is this guy mostly unstable? No, he's looking over the city. And the people who we call those people, he sobs over them. He cries over them. The people who we don't want to live by and don't want to be like them and our kids who grow up around them and the, the people who we don't vote like and the people who we call conservative or liberals, the people, he sees them all. He, he sobs. We're told uncontrollably. We're told he can't pull it together. He can't just, all right, I'm good like with Lazarus. We're told he is broken over the city of Jerusalem. And over the people and over the souls. And as he approached Jerusalem, the scripture says, he wept over it. And I'm just going to, this is how we're going to finish our time here together today. When is the last time you've been broken over lost people? When is the last time you've been broken in a way that stirs and changes your heart? Because this is what Jesus was coming in the city for. This was his primary focus, lost and hurting people. Spurgeon says this. He says, you'll never be a winner of souls unless you're first a weeper of souls. Where do you think he got that from? Jesus weeping over souls and weeping over people who are far from God. I, I don't know how to say this, but 
more times than not, I hear people talking to me and I'm in circles where people are attacking people, attacking lifestyles, attacking this and that, and saying this is the reason our culture and our nation is where it is. You don't see Jesus doing that. You see Jesus reaching people. You see Jesus saying, okay, I'm going to be the change I want to see. You don't see him trusting in political systems. You don't see him trusting in, in rules and regulations and laws. You see him trusting in the Lord. And I don't know how to convey this because some people are going to you know, maybe take this the wrong way, but I'm just going to say it. So many people talk with hate and anger and these people and that people, and they would just stop. And yet Jesus keeps telling you, he keeps telling me, hey, return to your table and I'll take care of everything. And I don't pretend to have all the answers for all the societal woes and everything that my children, your children are being raised up in and they're seeing right now. But you never see Jesus saying, hey, hide your kids. Never see him saying, hey, it's way dark out here. No, 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 no. What you see him, you see him praying over the loss, asking for the Lord of the harvest to send your kids out and my kids out. Send them out, send them out, send them out. That we're supposed to do such a good job that it's supposed to be more appealing to serve the Lord and to serve the world. And so maybe we're inferior and insecure that we didn't do a good enough job. And so everything on the news right now, things that's happening right now, oh my gosh, my kids in, in my state, my country might be exposed to that. Maybe there's some embedded insecurity. Maybe I didn't do a good enough job. Maybe they'll want the world more than God. Maybe, maybe, maybe that'll taste better than what they saw at home. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I'm trying to say this. Jesus didn't talk about the people you and I talk about. He didn't talk about them like that. He weeped over them. Whoever those people are to you, whatever that lifestyle is to you, whatever is that unbecoming, super sinful, so far from God, whatever that is to us in our community, Jesus weeps. Unconsolable. Crying. He can't, he can't, he can't even think about the palm trees right now. He can't even think about the cloaks right now. He can't even think about the prophecy of the donkey right now. He says, it doesn't even matter right now. I'm looking at a city far from God. These people are going to be lost and they're going to go to hell. They're going to be eternally separated from me. And that's all that matters to me right now. And I don't know how to tell a city right now, is that all that matters to you? Because it doesn't matter to your news station. And it doesn't matter to your friends at work. It doesn't matter to every other club that we're sending money to 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 raise up people to to change things. It matters to Jesus, those lives and those hearts. And I'm just going to stand up here and just be truthful about it. When is the last time we cried over a city and cried over a nation and did something about it, starting in our home and starting in our community? You are the change. I am the change. Jesus said the, the message of Jesus is the change he wants to see. It's lost souls. It's lost lives. And watch this. If you don't have the same heart for God, for the lost, don't expect God to use you to save the lost. Oh, my gosh. Like, we are just going to get real in this room for the next moment. It's a dangerous place to be in echo chambers. A danger. You don't see Jesus one time in echo chamber. Everybody thinks the way you think and acts the way you act and dress the way you dress and, and in your type of business and field and retired at your level and, and votes the way you vote and, and your same color. Just, like echo chambers are dangerous. That's what the Bible always does. What? Kicks us out of our comfort zones. I'm talking to a church right now that you should have invited somebody here with you today. 
You should be caring for someone. There should be someone heavy on your heart right now. Look at the life of Jesus. Do you know what he surrounded himself with? Prodigals and pagans. People who knew God are now far and people who don't believe. Prodigals and pagans. And I'm just wondering right now in our Western church, our Western mindset, how many of us thought about another family today? How many of us invited somebody today? How many of us drove by and picked somebody up today? How many of us shot somebody an Instagram update message? Not a meme, but hey, here's a church service. Like, let's just get real. Let's just get honest right now. Here's my question. Here's my question. Here's my question. Are we celebrating Palm Sunday? Are we living out Palm Sunday? Are we celebrating Palm Sunday? Here's my 40th celebration this year. Or are we living out Palm Sunday? And I'm telling you right, right now, this world, not just this country, this world is an indictment right now. Where our society is, we celebrate things, we don't live them out a whole lot. Because it costs you something. Right? It's going to cost you inviting somebody. It's going to cost you being turned down. It's going to cost you picking a family up. It's going to cost you paying for their meal. It's going to cost you figuring things out. It's going to cost you having to live for the Lord in your business space. It's going to cost you, you're an empty nester, you don't have a lot of friends. You're going to cost you to get involved in some spaces. Not for your benefit, but for the benefit of the kingdom. It's going to cost you to think different. People of a different culture or, 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 or color or, or whatever, like get familiar with other folks. It's going to cost you. It's going to be weird. It's going to be different. But what I'm telling you right now, I am 100% convinced if Jesus was in this culture, he would do things a lot different than we do today. I mean, I'm just thinking like us coming to church today, like what consumed our mind? For me, my family, getting kids and all that ready, like he'd be consumed. Well, who are we going to get there? Like who, who's, whose lives going to be changed? Like I get the, the vast majority is just going to kind of, you know, increase your walk with God and discipleship. He's like, but what about the city that I'm weeping over? What about these people that you're going to talk about with your friends this past week? And if, man, if, you know, if they don't stop and they don't stop and they don't stop, then our culture, our state, our country, like he would be concerned with that. And I don't know how to articulate that other than the way I'm articulating it now. Who are we reaching? Who are we reaching? Because here's what church is going to do right now. This week and next week, you know what we're going to do? Invite, 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 invite. Like there's only two weeks out of the year we should care about lost souls. Like, just look at, the, look, at, look at the Western church just for a moment. Invite, 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 invite. Like, it's, 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 it's normal for Christmas and Resurrection Sunday to have, like, big services. Have you ever asked yourself why that is? Because two times out of the year, we're like, yeah, we, we, we probably should do this. <laughs> but Jesus weeps because he knows Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel says this. The Lord says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather they turn from their ways and live. Man, I challenge you, next time somebody starts going off about people in the country and community and this type of people and these people, I doubt you to quote that right back to them. Like, don't you know God wants to reach them? And don't you know if you prayed more about them than talk about them, God could reach them? And don't you know the people that you're talking about are right in your office space and right in your community? And hey, by the way, let's take the plank out of our own eye speck out of somebody else's eye. I don't know why I'm here, but God's working and speaking something right now. Like, I'm just asking the question, what are we doing? There's a lot of what other people could be doing. What am I doing? What is my family doing? What are my kids doing? What is my church doing? Because Jesus weeps because he's thinking about 1 Peter 3, 9, not wanting anyone 
to perish, but all to come to eternal life. This is the heart of Jesus. Oh my gosh. He loves humanity. He loves men. He loves women. He loves students. He loves us so much that he hoped that we would love the same. He hoped there'd be some capacity on the inside of us, some empathy on the inside of us to let the world eat themselves alive, but we reach them one conversation at a time, one social media post at a time, one business meeting at a time, one interaction with a neighbor at a time. One church hurt person at a time. This is the heart of our Savior. Let's not get Palm Sunday confused. The Passover lamb was coming into the city and he stops everything. Pretty important business he's on and weeps over the city and weeps over the lost. Weeps over the people that we would talk about. He weeps over. And he says, if you could just see my heart for the city, if you could just see my desire to save humanity, This is what Jesus does. This is what Palm Sunday is all about. It's an evangelistic message. It's it's forcing you and I to ask the question, where do we go from here? What do I do next week? Do, Do I come solo? Do I put invites out? But not just next week. What what do I do with the following week? Like, what is my focus? It's gotta be outside of me and outside of my home if I want to follow the path of Jesus and the heart of Jesus. So here's where growth happens. Here's where we begin to expand. Are we celebrating or walking things out? Does he want to use me or does he not? And I think the scripture is very clear. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. But he doesn't just want you and me to come by ourselves next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. There's got to be something in us that desires more than the status quo. And here's where I want to finish. I want to finish with the Palm Sunday to come, the Palm Sunday that we are preparing our hearts for. Revelation 7 says this, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From what? Every nation. From what? Every tribe. People and language. This is his heart, isn't it? Every nation, every language, every people, this is his heart. If you don't know this version of him, you don't know him. Standing before the throne. Before the what? There it is again, the Passover lamb. Maybe there's something to this whole story. Maybe there's something to the whole Passover. They were wearing white robes and were holding what? Here we go again. We keep running into the same things. If you search for him, he reveals himself. Palm branches in their hands and they cry with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And what? to the lamb. And even the angels can't contain themselves. They've been around forever and they were told this is what they do. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And it says they fall down on their faces before the throne and worship God as though they just arrived in heaven. Saying amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to our God forever. Don't miss Palm Sunday this year. Don't miss what God is prompting our hearts to do. Don't miss reaching out and loving and serving and giving. Don't miss it. I don't know what it's going to cost you, but it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. And I want it. Jesus, what do you want from me? What do you need of me? What do you need of my home? What do you need of my life? 
because I want you. I'm not going to miss the gate. I'm not going to miss the cloak. And I'm not going to miss the palm branch. Lord, you are faithful. And we love you today. We desire you today. And Lord, gone are the days that we just read passages and just kind of run through a service, Lord. We need you. We need you to unpack yourself, Lord. Unpack your wisdom. Let the Holy Spirit do the work that I believe he's always wanted to do. And let every person in here know your love and your value for them and for the rest of humanity. That we take stock today and no longer celebrate Palm Sunday and the next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and not live it out. Oh God, we make a commitment today to to live it out in Jesus' name. Move in all of our hearts. Show us what that looks like individually, that we would never point a finger at any one or any other thing that we make the difference right here, right now. With loving people and weeping over a city and weeping over people that you would do the same for Jesus. With your heads bowed, I want to pray for the prodigal in here today, the person who knew God and, and walked away. And I want to pray for the pagan in here today the person that you are not a believer, you do not have a relationship with Jesus at this point. I want you to know that Palm Sunday and next week, Resurrection Sunday, is about you and it's for you. You don't have to understand it all to know that it's for you, that you are loved, that you are valued. And so I want to welcome you home. Our church, we pray a prayer with you. We don't let you do it by yourself. All we ask you to do is posture yourself in a place of surrender. So if that is you today, if you are far from God, and that can mean a lot of things, I want you to pray to receive or pray to restore your relationship. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to pray to receive him today. Church, let's pray with those who are praying this. Lord God, we believe in you. We repent of our sins and welcome you into our lives. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Give us a hunger for your word and for discipleship. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give all those a hand who prayed that prayer today. God bless you, church family. We hope that you are challenged, impacted, and blessed by the message today. For more information, please visit LegacyChurchAI.org or take a moment to follow us on Instagram at LegacyChurchAI.